you start meeting those bottom needs, those middle needs, and then you're climbing your way to that top of that pyramid, which as you know, is that self-actualization level. And that's how you build a better life. Welcome to the Fearless Happiness Podcast, where we showcase phenomenal individuals who have overcome serious traumas, life obstacles, and challenges to find their own path to fearless happiness. Listen as Max Naist invites guests from all around the world to share their experiences and spread strength, hope, and faith. This is the Fearless Happiness Podcast, and this is Max Naist. All right, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in this world. You know who it is. It's Max from the Fearless Happiness Podcast. I have an amazing guest with me today, and it's funny because... We've kind of known each other in passing in the groups that we run around with, like, you know, uh, and I always I've listened. He's a great comedian, um, but you got to hear a story. So what I like to do, Patrick, is have you introduce yourself, who you are, what it is you do, and just let the audience know who you are right now. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me on, buddy. Um, my name is Patrick Laborio. I am... 53 years old. I had to think about that. <laughs> um, it's, it's getting sad. Um, been sober a long time. As a matter of fact, I, I is it the 20th right now as we're recording this? I I got about five more days until I um get my 21st year of Holy sobriety. Gosh. So that's kind of exciting. Yay. Um, I as you said, I'm a professional comedian. I've been doing stand-up comedy since the early 90s. Uh actor. I've been in a about 85 commercials, a lot of TV shows and movies and such. Uh, currently, and for the last 20 years, believe it or not, along with comedy, I've been a addiction and mental health counselor. So I, I enjoy that work as well. Enjoy working with people and trying to get them on a path of recovery as well. So, and you know, I, I love to hike. <laughs> no, I was going to say, you know, it's funny. Patrick, everybody got to know, like Patrick and I know a lot of the same people, but we never really like talked, right? Because <laughs> we belong. And I grew up in Orange County. That's where I got sober, right? That's where I know you from, yeah. from mm -hmm. our meetings and, you know, and and seeing your shows and, and, you know, like, hey, that guy's funny. And then I'd ask my friend, who's that? That's Patrick, <laughs> right? Well, uh, in September, I'll celebrate 20. So we're close in, in oh, age in our wow. recovery. So, wow. I knew, you know what? I was trying to guess how many years you have because i thought to myself you either have the same like time that i have or like we're we're within it i knew we were within like a year or so to yeah. I, I i i knew that yeah it's so bizarre wow so everybody i want you to listen up when this guy speaks right he's been through a lot of stuff um you know he and i know that sometimes getting sober is not the easiest thing right at least our brains don't tell us like we want to do our <laughs> own thing, right? Or our bodies want us to do other things. So what mm -hmm. I like to do, Patrick, tell my audience some of the challenges like growing up and stuff that, you know, what led to your addiction and then ultimately okay. what made you decide like enough's enough. I got to change and then becoming a comedian, right? And th those have its own challenges, right? Because it's a tough business, right? To, but yeah. I got to tell you, this man is a very funny man. You know, it's, and then what I really inspires me about Patrick is I've been following this guy for a while now and he's into these hikes 
And I'm not talking, hey, I just went on a two-mile hike and I'm feeling good. Like this guy goes, I just did 22 miles, everybody. And yeah, I'm feeling, you know, I mean, I'm like, yeah, Patrick, go show them one for the old men. You know what I mean? Like, go show these young whippersnappers how it's done. But um, if you would like share your story with my audience and like where it all began, what happened, mm -hmm. you know, as they say, what happened, what it was like, what happened, sure. or what it's like today. Sure. Well, I'd love to, man. That's what it's all about. Well, I mean, I I was born in Hawaii on the Big Island, and I um, never knew my father. That that's probably the first major traumatic thing in my life is that I I never I have no memory of him, and he was n never in my life. Um, funny thing was later down the road when I started getting known as a comedian, there was a newspaper article written about me and being on a couple TV shows at the time with David Spade. And um, I, a, a brother and sister that I didn't even know existed uh, contacted me from that article <laughs> years and years later. Um, and he had this, we have the same exact name. So my dad was not a creative person. <laughs> We're both Patrick, which I thought was so fitting for, and, and, and again, I have no ill will toward him. Um, I let that go years ago. Uh, I'm not, I I've told the story. I'm not very emotional about it, but, um, it was, it was a traumatic experience to grow up without a father. It, it just mm -hmm. is. And my hat goes off to everybody who's a father, a stepfather, you know, somebody who steps in and, and takes care of someone's kids when they're not theirs. Um, any male influence is a big deal. So, you know, I just know as I got older, what I missed, you know, but, you know, I had a really tough mom i i grew up in orange county i we moved to orange county when i was three and a half maybe and um so i don't have a lot of memories of Hawaii. my first memory as a child was an 8.3 earthquake uh followed <laughs> by a tidal wave that wiped out downtown hilo so it's the first memory i had was literally the hallway shaking the roof above me cracking and it's just a massive tidal wave. Um, so we we moved from Hawaii to California. Um, we were very poor. Um, we grew up in a neighborhood where literally the first street I lived on was about a mile long. And I think there were two dads on the whole street. And uh, I would soon find out, you know, what happened to most of these kids. Um, not good things. Um, grew up around a lot of um just a lot of poverty a lot of kids involved in some very shady things drugs gangs violence just things that weren't good you know right and where i came from the only thing that we had to look forward to because nobody owned anything we lived in apartments single moms um we were lucky to own a crappy car you know <laughs> right <laughs> and um so all we had were sports you know, um, if it wasn't bad enough growing up for, I was, uh, at a severe dyslexia. So I was behind in reading, um, for the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, had to start going to school early, um, to, to read and, and staying after to, to continue reading. And, uh, kids made fun of me when I was, um, a kid and I was really small as a kid, um, when I was really young. Um, 
but I, I started playing baseball and football at a young age, you know, eight, nine years old. And, uh, I was good immediately. And that was my whole identity growing up. Uh, the, that was the only thing I thought I ever had was sports. Um, my mom pushed all the kids, you know, my mom raised all the kids. Um, so it was tough for, her. but, um, I became really good right away. And as a result, that was the only thing in my life that I could identify with. And my mom who God rest her soul, my mom died about 18 months ago. And, um, I just, we had a great relationship, which I'll get into later after getting sober. We had 18 or 19 really good years, uh, of a relationship with her after I got sober before she passed away, which was great. I, I'm very grateful for that. But growing up, she was really, really tough. You know, she was put a lot of pressure on me. Everything had to be perfect. And I was never told that I was good. I was just told what I didn't do right. <laughs> and, um, I think my anxiety and fear started in the early years, just growing up, moving around a lot because we didn't have a lot of money. Um, haven't always having people help us out with things. We had to move to my grandma's a couple times because, you know, we couldn't pay the rent and, um, the pressure my mom put on me. I, I lived in a constant state of fear of abandonment, fear of something happening to my mom, fear of not being good enough. And when that got into my teenage years, when I, when I got really, really good at football, wrestling, baseball, um, and I went to a public school and, and modern day actually came after me when I was in middle school. Um, they started looking at me in the seventh grade yeah. because I, I was just like a man child. Um, and, uh, so as the stakes rose, so did the pressure. And, um, I, when I got to high school, there was such a fear of not getting a scholarship, I guess that and not getting my grades high enough and so forth and so on that i remember drinking the first time when i was in like the eighth grade and i mean i it was immediately hooked you know that young and then as a sophomore in high school uh, i did cocaine for the first time and within literally two or three months i was involved with a bunch of kids that were whose parents were high level drug dealers that turned into some really bad things that happened in my life, some really bad trauma. But um, I, I was a big cokehead and drinker all through high school. I ended up flunking out of high school, believe it or not. Uh, got in trouble. I had to spend some time in jail. And, um, you know, long story short, I, I had a lot of recruiters looking at me for baseball and football. Um, had to go to junior college. Um, got my grades up and this is the severity of the disease, Max here. The, the thing is, I remember, you know, getting my act together, working really hard, training really hard. Um, I was on a football team at Santa Ana college. That was a bad call away from winning a national championship. Um, we were, we were a great team and, um, getting it together, but I went from being a cokehead to the drinking actually became bigger than the cocaine and 
when I look back on it now, what I know now from all my years in psychology and being a counselor and, and being a group facilitator is that the drinking and the drugs weren't the problem. You know, the, the pro that was my solution. Right. Uh, the problem was, was the fear, the fear of abandonment. It was the anxiety. It was the fear of not being good enough. It was people say that, you know, the second part of step one, because our lives have become unmanageable. And I think I drank alcohol so I didn't have to manage anything. (laughs) Right. Uh, I don't want to manage anything. So, I mean, I, I transferred to a four year school in West Virginia. Uh, you know, I was a two year starter, but the sad part is I was, I never ended my career like I should have. Um, I was never as fast as I could have been as good as I could have been. I was inconsistent. And a lot of it was just, I was partying too much. I wasn't taking it seriously. Um, I don't know how I graduated, but, (laughs) um, I graduated with a degree in journalism and, and then, um, Shortly after that started my stand-up career and, and my acting career, I had done some theater acting as a kid and uh, started doing open mics. And uh, basically, I won some really big contests as a young comedian. Um, I was hanging around a lot of guys, ironically, that were also good. We were all really, really good. And I look at... At most of the guys that I hung out with in my when, in my twenties when I was doing stand up, every single one of them is famous except me. I mean, all of them. Um, and uh, you know, it kind of makes you think. You know, right? Um, people ask me today, you know, what happened, and I said, "What do you mean, what happened?" And uh, they said, "You know, all these guys that you were around, everybody was big. Like, how come you weren't?" I said, "I'm honest. I I didn't work hard enough." You know, I, I stopped working and that fear of rejection started to creep back in me. Right. And the drinking became worse to where I'd be touring around the country. I'd forget what city I was in. I, I, I'd be hung over sleep through you all day sometimes. And it, got, it just got to be a disaster, you know? Um, and somewhere around the age of 30, um, I said something awful to the head of NBC entertainment <laughs> and uh I threw the mic at her and I was banned from the laugh factory for life and um by that time I I had been in in dozens and dozens of commercials made a lot of money I'd, I'd done numerous TV spots and been in some movies and and I I could have been I could have done really well and I basically I don't know if it was at a subconscious level but basically i i sabotaged it you know right and i think the more i drank the more that fear of failure and fear of responsibility you know what i'm talking about max i do that fear of having to shoulder responsibility along with the good things that came with that you know and the inability to be consistently working hard right Uh, my 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 problem was being on time. My problem was consistency. My problem was shouldering responsibility. I didn't want to do it. And as we all know, with addicts and alcoholics, it's a maturity level that is stunted. When our disease gets into full bloom, we stop growing. You know, that's yeah. why we see 35 year old newcomers that um, are still acting like they're in middle school. 
Right. And, and I, I was one of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right here too. Um, so long story short, you know, I basically lost everything I had. And people often ask me, you know, what was my bottom? And I, I'm honest there too. The, my bottom was I was out of cash. Seriously. I had no more credit. I was out of money. I was out of friends that were willing to do me favors and, and let me stay with them. I was out of friends that would loan me money. And had I not had the well not run dry, I got to be honest, I may have kept drinking until I died. Right. So I, I did not really quit. I would say by choice, I, I was kind of, my hand was forced a little bit in the fact that my resources to drink were gone. So out of desperation, another comedian took me to my first meeting, July 25th, 2002. And uh, I've been sober ever since. Um, I got, I got one of those sponsors that, you know, you know what is, you know, like Yoda, just, <laughs> they got like 200 <laughs> years sober, you know, uh-huh. um, calling out every excuse in the book what, when you can't do something. So <laughs> that's what I call my sponsor, my Yoda. Yeah. He, you know, because uh, if you think about it, right, they, they, they don't yell at us, right? They're almost right. like moms, right? Because moms know when they yell at us, we're just going to go, I'm going to do whatever I want, mom, right? But when they give uh-huh. us that, you know, that silent treatment, like, you know what I mean? Then uh-huh. we feel like this big, right? Because we're like, oh, shoot, I really pissed off mom. She's giving me the silent treatment, right? Uh-huh. Um, and my sponsor was always the same way, right? Just He would just suggest, right? And in a, in a kind, loving way. And it'd be like, okay, I'm just letting you know this is what I did. And you know what I mean? And there would be uh-huh. times, you know, as you know, I would go, you know, I'm not going to do what he says. Matter of fact, I'm going to. I'm gonna do the opposite, right? Because don't you tell me what to do, right? That attitude. <laughs> oh God, yeah. I mean, and, and that's indicative of um of, of an addictive personality. Right. Um, and you know, as a counselor and as a group facilitator in mental health, now one of the things that I try to advocate is self-efficacy. They're gonna want to have to do this for themselves. I give suggestions. That's what I do. I tell them how I got sober and uh, my sponsor did the same thing. My sponsor was really good about telling me, not telling me what to do, but more telling me what, what he knows to work from experience. And that approach was, was so much less offensive to me that, you know, I was willing to listen. I, he had a life that I wanted. He was laughing more than me, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Right. And um, that's why, you know, for, for almost 20 years me too i've had the same sponsor right because of what you just said it was his approach it wasn't like the drill instructors you know like we've seen you know you've seen it i've seen it there's guys in the rooms that'll just like point their fingers and you're gonna do this and you know with me and you i don't know but i know with me you do that i'm like i'm out see ya now i ain't working with you know what i mean like see ya get your finger out of my face Mm-hmm. But see, we have similar stories, Patrick, where I can see, like, I was the same way. I grew up, my dad and mom divorced early, right? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't see him for for years, right? Years and years and years, right? It's just my mom. And my mom was like your mom. I don't know, these tough Asian ladies, they don't take no crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, my mom was five foot, maybe on a good day, but she walked around like she was six foot five and, right, didn't take my crap. My brothers, none of our, right? <laughs> But she also loved us and made sure we had everything we needed, right? We we weren't the richest, like you said, but we had food in our bellies and 
And, and like yeah. you, you know, that, that abandonment issue really messed with me, right? Because the last mm-hmm. time I ever saw my dad, you know, the thing he said to me, and I shared this before on my with my guests and on this podcast is he promised he'd be back for my birthday. I was 10 years old, right? I was getting ready to turn 11. And, you know, by just hearing your story already, right? Like, so you're, okay, I haven't seen my dad. Cool, my dad's coming back. He's going to be here for my birthday, right? Well, my birthday came and went, no dad, right? And then I find out he passes away. Mm-hmm. So as 11, you know, I wasn't sad. I was pissed. I was angry. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. how dare you break your promise? Well, you know, mm-hmm. your dad just passed away of a man. I don't, I didn't give him permission to die of a heart attack. He was supposed to be yeah. here, you know, in that little brain of mine, right? And you were 10? I was 11 when that oh, I, he came wow. because my birthday had come and went. And, you know, so I know that feeling you're talking about that, that, right. And then because I look like my dad so much, my mom would put that pressure on me, like those mm-hmm. expectations, like your dad was up here. I expect you to be the same. Right. Mm-hmm. Or did you ever get this? Well, I don't know if you did, but my mom would say, if your dad was here, he'd whip the shit out of you. And, you know, he would expect so much more of you. And, right. Mm-hmm. And I did the typical, right pre-addiction right well you tell me what to do i'm not doing it i'm doing the opposite you tell yeah. me I'm, I'm a loser i'm gonna show you how good a loser i am right mm-hmm. right and then the addiction comes and you know the whole story and i had to battle those those demons too where it was just like always not thinking i was good enough right the guilt and the shame especially after getting sober right when you're stark raving sober right all those feelings come back and you know our drinking and drugging was our solution, right? We didn't want to feel that mm-hmm. stuff. So, right, mm-hmm. you know, like you, I had to learn to just go, okay, I need to change. I don't know how I'm going to do it. So I'm going to listen to this man who's Yoda telling me, Max, use the force, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can do it, Luke. Um, and, but like you said, I, I'm just like you when it comes to facilitating groups and, and counseling, right? Is mm-hmm. I try to teach them. I said, look, you're your own biggest advocate. I'm here to support you, right? Um, here's what I did, right? See what you can do. Pick and choose what works for you and what doesn't, doesn't, right? <laughs> oh, is someone listening in? No. My, uh, my, my girlfriend walked in and is uh, doing some sexy dance trying to distract me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it. But um, you know, but I like just you. wanted to touch base. I just real quick uh, yeah, before I course. forget to tell you, my dad died when I was fourteen, and um, I you know, like I said, I never knew him. I never, never got a phone call. Never got a letter. Nothing. And my mom just came and picked me up from a friend's house one day when I was fourteen and said he died. No one told me he was sick. Nothing. Uh, yeah. See, I know that. I was shocked at how much it hurt at the time, um, not knowing him at all, but it still hurt. Right. See, and that's, and that's why I kind of, I think along the same lines as you do, right. I give credit to those dads who are present, the stepdads who have stepped in, Yeah, you know, even boyfriends who are stepping in and being that father figure too, Mm because you and I know it might've turned out different if we had our dads, right? We can't oh, yeah. change it, right? But we know it could have turned out different. And like you, I never got letters or like, mm-hmm. I don't remember much except for that time I just shared with you where he came yeah. back and we were seeing him and everything was cool. I promise I'll be back. You know, that was the last promise he made to me, 
right? You know, and as an 11-year-old kid, I was like, how dare you break that promise? Yeah. You know? And that's and, a big thing, too, for any kid. And it, I I live that with so many of my friends that I grew up with. Their dad's making that same promise. Right. Oh, I'm getting out of jail. Oh, I'm, don't worry. I'll be back in two months. I'll, and, you know, I don't know how many times I've seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know right but you and i know now in long-term recovery right like i believe right yeah i didn't have the tools back then but as i grew older right i get sober and people are teaching me how to be a better dad and right oh, i have yeah. my my kids have been back in my life for almost 20 years now right for a period i didn't see them and um you know what I mean? I, I always made that promise. I'll never be like my dad, Patrick. I'll never be like my dad. But guess what? I became worse, right? I get into my addiction and they literally could be next door, but I'm so, you know, messed up or guilty or shameful that I'm going to either wait till they go to school, right? Or they go to bed and I'll sneak out at night like we do when we're doing our thing. Uh -huh. And right. But I've been able to change that around and because and, I... I wasn't the most gifted athlete, but that's one thing I love my mom for, right? I love mm -hmm. sports. And it was, it wasn't for her, right? Because I think she knew if I don't get my kids into some type of sports, they're going to run off and go do that. That was my little brother, right? For me, yeah. I love sports, right? Baseball, mm -hmm. football. Mm -hmm. But I also knew there was those red flags in high school, right? When, hey, where's the kegger party this weekend, right? And, oh, you know, yeah. everybody's going home and you're the last one going, hey, man, I'm not done yet. That's cool. Yeah. And, you, and you're searching for people that want to keep partying, right? Oh, yeah. I wish, you know, those those red flags back then. But, you know, and, and there's I'm not making up excuses. But as you know, in our journey of recovery, that's some of the stuff we went through, right? We didn't feel like we belonged, even with our own families. At least I didn't sometimes. I felt like I was like the outcast, right? Um, I didn't know if I fit in. So I tried to fit in with everyone, the stoners, the jocks, you know, the whatever right just so i could feel a part of something and um i don't know this journey right and, and it doesn't matter like you said it doesn't matter if we have a dad or not some of us who are prone to addiction are going to go through it no matter what we do and yeah but, agreed yeah but here's the beauty of the thing right at least they got guys like you and myself out here to try to help these people right that are looking for help or even the ones that not, because you know, there's those youngsters that are not looking for help, but we got to be those examples for them. Right. right? You plant, plant seeds regardless. Yep. Plant seeds regardless. I know there's some kids that I know aren't ready, but, you know, and all I can do is, is try to, uh, I never want to be a poster boy for being sober. I, I never want to be that, but uh, I do take it upon myself to live the tradition that this is attraction. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. And I need to lead, I need to lead a life where men who are still suffering can see that it can change. It can Absolutely. be different. Mm -hmm. We have to be not the poster boy for, for sobriety. Right. Mm -hmm. I always say we have to be the poster guys for change. We have to show them that recovery does happen that change can happen even for people that are not in recovery right that mm -hmm. are going through whatever we right. can be their examples too like hey i saw patrick over here doing this this and this right like i said i'm not kidding when i started watching your posts about your hikes like i'm just like man this dude's getting it i love it right because to me 
knowing who you are, you're working on all areas of your being, right? I know you're trying to work on your mind. You're trying to work on your physical being, your spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. And that takes some hard work sometimes because I know you got days where you go like, I don't even want to go hiking. I just rather stay oh. on this chair and watch football game. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I've had a, <laughs> I've had a few. I've had a few of those. Right. For sure. So you know, you're moving fast forward a little bit, right? You're mm-hmm. getting because I know that show business, the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. Is not what it always is like on TV, right? We know that there's the dark, ugly side too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So I know you've been sober a while. So is that still like something you see that's affecting the industry, right? Addiction and you know what I well, mean? Like, I mean, to be honest, I don't really think that addiction has is more conducive to any one group of people that that's the that's the bizarre thing about addiction it hits anyone anywhere any background um there are are some geneticists believe it or not that are trying to pin it and you can see their little bias they're trying to pin genetics to this and the truth is it doesn't really look like if it was genetic there'd be more markers there'd be more consistency in their early their seems to be no rhyme or reason why it hits someone right and um we don't know and um as far as showbiz goes though what what you do have are a lot of what i would consider to be problem users problem drinkers not necessarily chronic addicts like ourselves right but people that are just out of control i do see that a lot when you get a lot of money or not even a lot of money there there were people that were in my position that we were making a living we 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 got invited to all the fun stuff all the time we never had to pay for much you know what i mean it's um we were privileged to get into things and do things and so i i do see that as a problem i do see the fact that the business as a whole show business even kids that are very well um looked after and supported it it's an unrealistic um life it's you know it's just not reality it's not you know people don't normally have these these opportunities and 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 when you're in this business and even not even being famous but just being somebody that's kind of respected and working you're not held accountable for a lot of things you know people look at you differently and so yeah i mean i look back on that now and i think that's what really made me i love comedy i love stand-up and i love acting and i've done a lot of acting but i think that's what made me want to gear more towards doing mental health and addiction more full-time and doing comedy more for fun i i just I, I reached a point about probably 10 years ago where the the desire to want to go back, you know, and do it full time and audition and, and, and do shoots just it just wasn't for me anymore. Right. You know, I, I started a foundation called uh, La- it's called that big now It was Lapaholics back in the day where, you know, we do shows for people in recovery and I enjoy that. It's 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 comedy a level where it's still fun and without all the BS. Right. You know, not the politics. I don't have to worry about 
contracts and somebody bitching because my show was one minute short or, you know, whatever else they want to complain about, you know? Right. Um, and I like the stability of just having a regular job where I can do things with the people that I care about. So, and be close to my home group. That was important. Um, be able to, you know, do step work, have a normal life that I consider normal. Still be able to do comedy for, for fun as a hobby. Right. And to make people laugh, but also to have a life that had stability and reality to it. So <laughs> that was a, bar, a big part of me changing as I got sober, I think. Right. Well, and, and you chose a field like, you know, mm -hmm. we're in the field of saving and are helping people, right? Try to get yeah. clean and sober. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and I know, right. It's not mm -hmm. like the success rate is 95%, you know, and it's not. <laughs> well, for us, it is right. We're, we're the, we're the, we're the proof of the pudding. But you well, know what I mean? You're right? the you're you're the poster boy here. I'm the poster boy for Chippendales. I don't know. <laughs> right? Hey man, you should see he's pretty sexy, everybody. When you get this no, on I'm YouTube, not. I'll have him put on a song <laughs> and do a dance for us. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, like I, I'm with you on that, right? I love what I do, right? And I it, yeah. it's not only stability, right? But it's because I truly have a passion to because you too. and I know what the gutter feels like we've been there we can yeah. you know and i know you've done this a lot of time where you've shared how a client's feeling before they even open their mouth and they look mm -hmm. at you like wow this guy knows exactly what i'm going through you know what i mean yeah and, and there's no better feeling when you know you can reach somebody on that level and go hey look i know how you feel but i'm here to help right i'm going to yeah. show you a different way um and you know our job in as counselors right is not to to get them sober per se right we leave that to the rooms and but to guide them and show them different ways that it can be done right like i teach mindfulness sure. you know mm -hmm. i do the groups the one-on-ones right and you know and help them get back on their feet uh-huh um but i know right oh, and and i like to use humor too and i'm not a comedian but i love to make them laugh because when they're at their lowest right it's you got to try to get them <laughs> to laugh you're so you should see patrick everybody he's so sweet he's kissing his girlfriend's hand and winking at her and but see that's the things we get to do now that we're sober right we get to have these wonderful relationships and um you know what i mean yeah and um but like us guys that are on the front line or us counselors who are on the front line right we got to show them a lot of empathy and stuff like that if we didn't have that you think they'd stick around or they'd even want to go through treatment they'd be like huh, patrick you may be funny but i'm out see you later right mm -hmm. right so our biggest job is is showing mm -hmm. up as they say suiting up and showing up and giving our best to show them that there's another way to live like yeah. what are what are some of the things you've encountered in that process of of counseling or yeah yeah, oh, well, and getting sober and yeah, the whole nine yards, the whole kip and caboodle, as they say. Well, you know, one thing I wanted to touch on was <clears throat> you mentioned empathy and the company that I'm with now. I, I don't like I don't tell people where I work, but just <laughs> exactly kind of the company, I guess. But um, we have um, a culture at where I work and um, it's centered around three letters, BMU, and that stands for build me up. and you know, I went to the Salvation Army and I, and I heard, man, you're here because you suck. You're everything is, you know, and just, and 
tearing people down, I, I didn't see helping at all. I didn't need you to tell me how shitty it was. I knew already. <laughs> um, one of the things that I encounter with anybody that's in mental health or addiction or anybody struggling to sort of find stability and, and purpose is that they're already torn down. And what addicts especially are used to hearing is they're used to hearing, I've had it with you, get out. Oh, I'm, I'm, I've had, oh, I, you're more than I can handle. I, I can't take you anymore. You got to go. And to be able to just keep throwing gracious redundancy at them and not give up. And you, you go, you keep giving them gracious redundancy. You keep trying to build them up. And, and in an honest way, you're not kissing anybody's butt, but you're, you're giving them tools. You're letting them know, encouraging them that they can do it, but you give gracious redundancy till, till they're, till they're out the door. And at the very worst, Max, that's at the very least, somebody leaves, somebody ACAs and, and sees that there's some group of people out there that didn't quit, didn't tell them they were too much, didn't say, you know, what the hell with you leave. Right. Um, we we were constantly building them up until the day they left. So I agree. Hopefully that plants a seed, you know. Absolutely, right? That's why I watched when I watched that YouTube where that guy talked, that journalist talks about the opposite of addiction is connection. It oh, yeah. Changed, it changed my whole view on how to be a better counselor, right? Instead of uh -huh. you know, we, I I figured we got sponsors and guys, old timers in, in AA that can do that belittling, right? If in, <laughs> you know right. what I mean, like I'll be the guy that's going to love you until the day you leave, no matter what you go through. Right. I'm going to be the guy you can go to. Right. Cause I believe like you, cause we already went through that. Like we didn't like it. Why would we continue that? Right. Like I got told that, you know, sure. you're, you're a piece of, that. you know what, get out. Like, I don't want you around. I'll call the police. If you ever come near me, get out. Right. Like, or, you know, you're a scumbag, right. You did this to me and blah, blah, blah. Um, right. So, like you said, in mental health and addiction, right? It's not about, and maybe that's why when I was sitting in jail before I got sober, right? And they were going to send me to the Phoenix house. Luckily, someone whispered in my ear, hey, Max, you know what they do? They sit you in a circle and then they belittle you and you can't do shit. So I was like, why would I want to do that? Right? I already got that one before I got here. So I told I you to be honored. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I go, your I honor. All that. Yeah, yeah, don't send me there, Your Honor. I why? Because I said, well, because I'll probably be back here with a new charge after I hit the person who told me I was a piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, you know, you, that's I called it. What do they call it? <laughs> um, God, uh, something conflict therapy. I go, yeah. Well, that stuff don't work for me. You know what I mean? And. But luckily, like you, I, I was blessed to give my mom 14 years of my sobriety before she passed away, right? Mm -hmm. And and she thanked me two weeks before she died. We were watching a show together. I was it was my Monday night to spend the night at her at her little um, what do you call that assisted living, right? And make sure I was mm -hmm. taking care of mom. And we're watching TV, and she's like rubbing my leg and like, what's on, mom? What's going on? And she goes, I just want to thank you for your 13 years of sobriety, you know. I wanted to correct her, but I didn't, you know, like I had just turned 14. I go, I go, well, thank you for never stopping and never stopping praying for me. 
She goes, wow. oh, yeah, I prayed for you every day. And God answered my prayers. And then we watched the show, right? But little did I know, two weeks she'd pass, right? And that's a whole other podcast. But, you know, guys like you and I that get this second, third, fourth chance, you know, we got to run with it. I don't know. If, I think you believe the same way, right? Because, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like you're out there getting healthy, hiking and doing your thing and working in the field. And, right. It's just, it's amazing the chances that guys like us, because, you know, there's probably times that we should have made it through. We should, probably shouldn't even be sitting here talking to each other. You know, Max, one of the things I hear, you know, from, from people in treatment and something that I reflect on a lot is I hear the term, boy, life just isn't fair. And you know what? If life was fair, I, I would have been dead a long time. Ago. Right. That would have been the fairest thing in the world. When, yeah. when I look at what I did, the chances I took, the positions I put myself into, if life was fair, I wouldn't be here. So thank God it's not fair. Right. Like yeah. that's, a, uh, that's like, I love that saying, if I got what I deserve, God would have took me a long time ago. Oh, man. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So, um, what I like to ask, right? I wrote a book. It's called Fearless Happiness. I don't know if you can see that there, right? I it's can. about my, my journey uh, from addiction to recovery. So I like to ask my my guests a few questions. And the first one we're going to ask is fearless. What does fearless mean to you? And what does that look like? And how does that show up in your life on a daily basis? Great question. Fearless to me means I'm still fearful, but I'm not afraid to duck under the covers. I'm going to live life. A uh, great example is my huge fear of rattlesnakes. Okay. Um, it fears there. I walk with these snake gators on and I'm walking on wide trails and I'm taking little baby steps on this thin trails. I've seen about four rattlesnakes, but I'm just getting through it. And to me, there, there's no such thing as being fearless in, 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 in the, just the normal sense of the definition. I believe fearlessness is going through it, even though you're a little bit afraid. And as you do it, you become more and more fearless and more and more up, having faith in yourself and having faith in a higher power, having faith in the universe. You start clinging to faith that I can rather than being paralyzed by fear. I think I'm always going to have a little bit of fear, right. but fear just means fear is less, I guess. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's how I broke it down one time. It's like, cause you think about it, like there's always something's going to scare us a little bit, whether it's a little bit or a lot. Right. Oh um, yeah. But we learn to fear less. Right. That's why. I, right. So, and then we do it anyway. Like you said, I love it. Right. I might be mm -hmm. afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? Because if you let the fear of rattlesnakes take over, I wouldn't be seeing these posts about you doing these killer hikes. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> Patrick could be on his chair. Sorry, guys. I was thinking about a rattlesnake. I ain't going out today. See ya. <laughs> you know? Right. Now, if I could just overcome my fear of karaoke. You know what uh, I, mean? I haven't got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. I haven't got that fear yet. Uh, over that fear yet. Throw up. That's all. It's a small <laughs> dream. That's, you know what I tell my friends? I said, look, I try to help people get sober. You have me sing karaoke. They might be drinking more than they ever have That's before. Exactly. Right. I don't want to be a trigger. Yeah. I'm not <laughs> going to be a trigger. Absolutely not. 
You know what's bad about me is like I have that voice where people like stop and go, is he trying to sing? Or I'm right in the I'm right in that teeter spot where I could just go full blown comedy. Or is he actually trying to sing Metallica? Like, uh... <laughs> right. And I just have this like like look like every the audience looks like they just walked into a fart and trying to find out who did it. So there you go. see, and by do it. They're going to remind everybody. Remember that episode of Seinfeld, right? Where Elaine's trying to dance. That's him. <laughs> and they're all going to kick me out. They're all going to be like, Max, you're never allowed. You've been banned from this karaoke bar forever, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next question I love to ask my, my guests is happiness. Knowing mm -hmm. I put a Y in there, Patrick. What does yes. happiness mean to you? And how does that show up in your life? On wow basis you know boy these are great questions because my i have the a very simple definition of happiness i wake up every day excited about the day i go to bed that same night happy with the day that i led i'm a human being and understand that the fifth stage of change is regression i'm a human being i'm going to go backwards so i'm never not perfect so if i could wake up excited about the day and go to bed happy with the day that I had. If I can do that five out of seven days a week, I'm pretty happy, you Love know? It. And, and as a result, I've got, you know, I'm coming up on time. I'm doing things that I want to do. Um, I got a girl sitting next to me. That is amazing. You know, it's awesome. I, I it's wonderful thing life. that sobriety does for us and, and being healthy, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, somewhat. <laughs> somewhat. Oh, did you hear that? He said somewhat. Um, <laughs> so somewhat somewhat healthy right love those okay. answers i appreciate you for those answers i mean they came from the heart i can tell but so i know i'm going to have some audience members that are going to go oh he's a counselor or he's a comedian how can i get his help if someone wanted to reach out to you patrick and go hey just just reach out to you and go i need help i'm struggling with some addiction issues or drink whatever or hey Patrick, I love your hikes. Like, what made you start doing that? How can they get a hold of you? Well, what you do is you just you hit this light and it flashes like a shadow of a bat in the sky. <laughs> um, I love it. I'm not that cool. I'm, I can't fit into the costume <laughs> or the car. Um, honestly, they could get me on Facebook. I, I just use I have the same age as Patrick Laborio. You know, they could get me on Facebook, message me there. Um, I, I'm, I'm not on Instagram much, but, uh, I'm on there every once in a while, but mostly Facebook messenger, I guess, um, probably the easiest way to get a hold of me if I don't know you. And, and if you come to me on messenger and I, I look at my messages, I try to look at them and get a lot of them, but I try to look through guys, especially that are looking that are have diabetes that are looking to try and get their sugar level, you know, under control guys that are trying to lose weight, that sort of thing. They come to me a lot and then I'll be more than happy to give them my number, you know? Okay. So that's probably the best way to contact me on, on something like that. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. But you're not off the hook yet. As I like to tell my guests, right? One last question I love to ask all my guests is what is the one piece of advice you would give my audience that will help them become, you know, be, improve as a human being, become a better human, Mm -hmm. and just be an overall better person what's that one piece of advice you could give um goal setting it's 
you know, we get sober to create stability. We get sober to, to create uh, a life of honesty. First of all, you know, we, we're, we we're taught the how the honesty, open-mindedness, willingness, right? That's what it takes. And once you get to that stage, then you, you start to elevate your life. And the only thing I can tell everybody is envision the person that you want to be and set goals to do them. Now, a lot of people, I think the problem is two things. One, they hang on the long-term goal. Oh, I want to make 150,000 a year. I want to make 250,000 a year. Okay. That's a great long-term goal, but that's just a beacon of light. And what you need to focus on are those short, small, attainable goals, those weekly goals. You know, Joe Rogan showed me how to do the gold cards on three by five index cards. And he said, you know, I've never known a person to fail that's done these gold cards and been consistent about them. People that have done them for two years, their life has turned around. And, and here I am a couple hundred pounds and no diabetes later. Um, it, it, those works, you know. Um, but it's the small attainable goals that are effort related, not, not result oriented. My sponsor taught me a long time ago, you know, people like us aren't really in the results business. We're in the effort business, right? You know, we're in the effort business. Uh, we live God's will. And my sponsor told me that when I did 10, 11, and 12, I would get a really good understanding of one, two, and three. And he was right. And I think number three were. I didn't know what God's will was for me. And today it means give it, give it back, pay it forward. It means try to be a beacon of light. Instead of looking at the beacon of light of my long-term goal, I try to be the beacon of light for somebody that's suffering that says, Hey, if, if, if that guy with little three inch legs can do it, so can I, you know, <laughs> um, I'm always looking at my short-term goals that are effort related. And I just focus on that short-term goal. And as you knock out those short-term goals, what happens is you start climbing up Maslow's pyramid of hierarchy. You start meeting those bottom needs, those middle needs. And then you, you're climbing your way to that top of that pyramid, which as you know, is that self-actualization level. And that's how you build a better life. You know, you, and it's not about over pushing yourself. It isn't. It's just about being consistent. You know, I love that book, The Four Agreements. It talks about agreement number four, always do your best. Right. And, Excellent you know, book. there will be days when you have 40%, give 40% that day. There's yeah. a lot of days when I have less than that and I just do what I can, <laughs> but I'm consistently trying to elevate. And it's the short term goals that just kind of keep my focus. And I think when that happens, you start to become the person that you envision. And that's, I believe, when your life really starts hitting a purpose that has some really good meaning and some and some really good happiness. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, right? Because if I did, if knowing me, if I would have focused only on the long-term goals, you and I yeah. would not be speaking now because I'd be stuck yeah. on stupid, basically, is what I call it, right? Because oh, I yeah. wouldn't know where to go. But I had a sponsor too, like yours, that had me break down daily, weekly, monthly goals, right? And and just yeah. do your best every time, right? And mm -hmm. if you don't get it, okay, you you do it for another day, right? Then you hit yeah. the next one, um, mm -hmm. right? Because as you and I know, like we could be, we don't need anybody telling us we're POS, right? We could be our own oh. worst enemy, right? Like <laughs> uh, we don't need help with that. Like, you know, just look in the mirror and I'll be my, you know, but I, I agree that you have to, 
in order to become a better human being, you got to start setting goals for yourself, whether it's mm -hmm. a, a weekly <clears throat> exercise goal or a daily exercise goal or a monthly, mm -hmm. um, you know, income goal. Like I'm going to hit this. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Because what happens is, I, and I know you believe this too, because you've gone through it as a counselor, right? When they start achieving the goals that they hit our clients, mm -hmm. you see their confidence level go up, right? Yep. Their self-esteem goes up. Yep. I mean, you and I have been through it, right? Like, Right. right, you go through some hikes. I've seen your post, like that was a rough one, right? But you finished it. I bet yeah. you felt great, though, right? You finished oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I may want to ride back down the hill, but I made it up the hill. You know, what I mean? <laughs> sometimes I look at that kettlebell. It might be like thirty-five pounder, but it looks like a hundred pounder. I'm like, okay, uh -huh. I gotta just do a couple sets and I'll be happy, right? <laughs> like get a couple of those swings in, and um, especially at our age, right? We're in our you know, are young. We're 50 years young or whatever. I'm yeah. 55, whatever, <laughs> right? I don't try not to put anything on me anymore. Um, but this is this has been a, just an amazing interview. I, and, you know, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule, your busy schedule and doing this and sharing with my audience what's worked for you and your your challenges and how you've overcome them. Overcome them because this is why I started this podcast, right? Is in the beginning, when I first came up with the idea, it was going to be nothing but recovering addicts and alcoholics, right? Mm -hmm. But as I started doing it, right, people reached out to me, hey, can I be a guest? And I would hear their story. And I was like, dude, this got to, this got, just like the program it has to be inclusive. I got to let anybody and everybody who wants to share their yeah. story, mm -hmm. right? And like I said, you're an inspiration to me when I see you on those hikes because I know they're not easy. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you, folks, he doesn't just go on these little, they're mountain hikes, like elevation. <laughs> and I'm cheering him on the whole time he's posting. I'm like, yeah, Patrick. But see, in that, he he inspires me to pick up that kettlebell one more time and get another rep or two in, right? Or to stay sober for one more day so that I can carry the message to someone who's still suffering, right? And connect with my friend Patrick and finally talk to him and, you know, and build this connection, right? And and show people that you're not alone. So I appreciate you coming on the show, sharing your story and letting people know you're not, they're not alone. Um, so um, you heard that everybody, you know, his fearless, what that looks like, happiness, how you could reach him if you want to reach out and talk to him uh, if you're mm -hmm. struggling because uh, I know if Patrick's anything like me, he will take the time to talk to you and make sure you, if he can't, he'll probably direct you in the right direction. And that's just how it works. And uh, just follow this man. He's an inspiration, everybody. Um, so if, if Patrick made you smile, he made me laugh. I know he made you laugh, everybody. If he made you think, <laughs> if he taught you something, if he made you go, hmm, right? Remember, go to iTunes and leave a five-star review so more people can find it. And until next time, everybody, any last words, Patrick, for my audience? Yeah. You know, I just wanted to kind of plug a couple things if I could. I just, Absolutely. if you want to get on my Facebook, uh, we have the hike with the Phoenix on the 29th at Peters Canyon at eight in the morning. We're going to meet at the trailhead. If anybody wants to go, it's free just for, it's, it's a sober hike. You know, if anybody's interested in learning how to hike. And then I'm on, I believe it's September 12th. Um, I'm doing a really big fundraiser with Anthony Brown and Dr. Drew um, for uh, recovery. So that'll be fun. So awesome. uh, check that out on my Facebook page. Um, it's going to help a lot of people. So I love it. I'll make sure that gets in the notes and that we spread the word, right? 
Well, I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you again. Uh, I thank your girlfriend for letting him do this. Thank you, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. And until next time, hey, we'll probably do this again. Patrick, uh, I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you for sharing your story. And until next time, see you later, everybody. Are you tired of being weighed down by life's traumas and struggles? Join the fearless happiness lifestyle and let us guide you toward a brighter future. Explore our past podcast episodes and get a copy of the Fearless Happiness book to ignite your inner strength. If you or someone you love is battling addiction or facing challenges related to unresolved trauma, know that we are here for you. Visit maxnaist.org, M-A-X-N-I-J-S-T dot O-R-G and take the first steps toward finding your fearless happiness. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of Fearless Happiness.